Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome in Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, July 29th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Jam-packed as jam-packed can be. Don't forget, even though we've got a lot of expansion to talk about, it's a historic day in college football. We will get to that. We're 35 days away from kickoff, and I'm not talking about that week two kickoff, not the week zero kickoff, so I guess we would technically call it week one. But the bottom line is jam-packed is really an understatement to describe what our shows are going to be like over the next month. I'm happy to have you with us. We've done phenomenal traffic. Our most viewed shows ever have been happening in the last couple of weeks. Wildest college football story in several generations. So many layers to this onion. We're going to react to all of it. Things have been happening. A lot of reporting is coming out even as we go on air right now, which explains why I kind of sound out of breath. Colin and I have been running around the studio here trying to make sure we have everything. Is the printer working? Is it even still in the office, etc.? We've got some circle games to talk about tonight, weeks 7 through 10. The college football playoff, do you hear that? Do you see the smoke that's coming from the tires on the bus that is screeching to a halt because of said expansion? So we're going to touch on that because that's a whole different angle to this story. That's why it makes it so wild. And boy, is this not a huge moment, not for Texas, not for Oklahoma, but for Jimbo Fisher. We talked about the Aggies a little bit the other night. I I dare say I had maybe a little different angle on it than a lot of people have. And I'm going to continue that tonight because this is going to define Jimbo Fisher. You may think a guy who's already won a national championship, his legacy is already defined. Think maybe not. I think there may be some things coming in the near future that ultimately define Jimbo Fisher's legacy at Late Kick Josh. I told you it's going to be a breaking news kind of week. Many of you have followed on Twitter and Instagram. Continue to do so at Late Kick Josh because that's only going to ramp up more and more as we get into the season. And there are going to be things that you get on those that you don't get on the air or even on the um, Late Kick podcast. College football is so uncertain right now. Here's what's happening. So there's some movement going on in our studio. And things that have been hidden and tucked away for a long time have been brought out. And yesterday, I was in the office, I feel like 25 hours. I could not leave because there was so much happening, and I had to record a podcast, and I was on nine radio hits yesterday. And I, I don't want you to feel sorry for me. Maybe just a little bit, I do. But anyway, I pulled out the MREs, you know, the emergency meal kit stuff and the water that has a 50-year shelf life. I'm not kidding when I told you I ate MREs at my desk and drank the emergency water yesterday. So let's fan ourselves and let's get ready because what we were doing yesterday and what we were watching today, we're going to talk about right now. The invitation has been extended. Texas and Oklahoma officially invited to the SEC. So right off the bat, 
Let's read the release from the SEC today. Today's unanimous vote, this is from Greg Sankey, by the way, today's unanimous vote, both a testament to the SEC's longstanding spirit of unity and mutual cooperation, as well as a recognition of the outstanding legacies of academics and athletic excellence, in that order, people, established by Oklahoma and Texas. I greatly appreciate the collective efforts of our presidents and chancellors in considering and acting upon each school's membership interest. So where are we right now? Well, 5.33 p.m. Central Standard Time today, that became official, and we have a unanimous vote. Who saw that coming? 14-0. I got some pushback, believe it or not. In the comment section, got some pushback. People said there's no way a and going to vote for this, and Missouri would be stupid to do it too. They, mm, you got to follow SEC football a little bit closer than that. You thought this wasn't going to be unanimous. So that was a formality. That's not even the real news of the day, if you want me to be honest with you, because we knew that was coming. What we didn't know was coming, what you probably didn't know you were going to wake up to seeing a headline of on your iPhone, or in my case, iJosh this morning, is the fact that the Big 12 Conference has decided to file a cease and desist against one of their own TV partners in ESPN. And having said all that, just to intro, it's hard to remember a crazier story in college football. And we've had a lot of them, had a lot of crazy stories, but can you remember we got a lot of teenagers. We got a lot of high school kids who watch the show. We got a lot of senior citizens who watch the show. Can you remember a crazier story and a more consequential story for more parties involved since the integration of college football? I, I think, and that's on a totally different plane, I'm thinking to myself, what was there? Scholarship changes? Even that doesn't approach this. So, There are many things I want to say about this. Let me go at it from the Big 12's point of view, and then we've got plenty to say about what this means for Texas, Oklahoma, the SEC, and several other parties involved. I feel really bad for Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner right now. It is a tough situation to be in when you have some things working against you in general. But it's an infinitely tougher situation to be in when you have some friendlies turning on you. And it's the worst situation to be in when the knives are already in your back before you realize you even got stabbed. And that's got to be how Bob Bowlesby feels right now. And if you've listened to the language that's come out of the Big 12 and him in particular over the last 24 hours, they are well past the point of handling this with decorum and taking it all in stride. No, the knives are out now on their end, and this is obviously going to end up in a courtroom, and since I have not completed my legal degree at DeVry yet, I cannot really comment all that much on those matters, but think about being Bob Bowlesby for a second. I'm going to tell you why I feel so bad for him. Imagine going through something like this personally and then blow it up on a grand scale where the whole world watches it. This time last year, you remember what was happening with the Big 12? What was happening with the Big 12 this time last year was Bob Bowlesby was working arm in arm with Greg Sankey as well as the ACC to try and keep the football season afloat after the Big Ten and the Pac-12 had thrown up the deuces and said, we're done. Now, we all know how that turned out, but it only turned out that way because of cooperation and mutual trust. They walked lockstep, hand in hand, arm in arm, when it was time to have a united front when it came to COVID. Then just a few months ago, and something that had been going on for a while, expanding the playoff. I wasn't for it, but they are. And so again, United Front, Bob Bowlesby working hand-in-hand with Greg Sankey and ESPN, for that matter, behind the scenes to try and work out a model that is favorable enough where everyone will sign off on it, and then come to find out 
the very conference, the very man leading the very conference that you're working arm in arm with is grabbing aces out of your back pocket. One of them's got a longhorn on it. One of them's got a boomer sooner on it. And now what do you have? Well, you've got an empty conference out there that cannot stand on its own. And what the future for the Big 12 holds remains to be seen. But also on the other side of the fence, that TV partner that you thought you had was secretly trying to take a blowtorch to the rest of your conference. If you're unclear as to what I'm talking about right now, there are allegations, direct allegations from the Big 12 that ESPN was doing no less than trying to sabotage the future of the conference by convincing at least one more member institution to back out of the Big 12, thus dissolving the Big 12 because it would put it below its minimum number of teams required for that TV contract to be valid. And at that point, the Big 12 would just dissolve. Texas and OU would be free. They don't have to pay all their exit fee money. And then the SEC could have, and the ESPN could have in turn what it wants, which is just that one mega conference in the SEC. That if your nine-year-old daughter were to have suggested it to you a month ago, would lead you to put her in timeout because she was just making fantastical claims that are far beyond the scope of reality. None of that could ever happen. That would not pass for the script of a Netflix series. It's just too unbelievable. And yet it's really happening in real time. That's happening. So ESPN has responded to that. And they have said essentially, no, we didn't, in a few more words. And Bob Bowlesby has responded and said to several people, he did his own little impromptu media tour last night, he said to everyone, I've got the evidence. You're not going to see it, but I've got the evidence, and when the time comes, you will see it. I look forward to it. Probably should sell tickets to that, uh, but I look forward to that. But when is this whole thing going to happen? This whole Texas, Oklahoma, to SEC, when is that going to happen? I put up a poll earlier today, which as we know is as scientific as it gets on Twitter, and About 70% of you believe Texas and Oklahoma will be playing in the SEC this time next year, 2022. That's what 70% of you think. I agree with you. I think they'll be in the conference next year. I don't think it's going to take that long at all. That united front in the Big 12 cannot last. They are singing from the same hymnal right now, but the eyes are cutting to the left and right. My philosophy If I were the SEC or I were ESPN or I were anyone else out there waiting to see what happens to the Big 12, just take the Fleetwood Mac approach. You don't have to do anything. Just sit back, give it enough time. They'll turn on each other. They'll break themselves up. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to try and sabotage them. You don't have to sweet talk in some member institution's ear. Just give it time. Lead singer, lead guitarist will break up, the bass player and the piano player get divorced, and then the drummer will start doing things he shouldn't do with the lead singer. And in the end, as we saw last year on a personal scale, because half of you still have closets full of toilet paper and garages full of gasoline, panic wins out over logic. It will here too. This conference will dissolve itself. So if it doesn't, more drastic action may have to be taken. Just take the Fleetwood Mac approach. It'll dissolve itself. Whatever the case, even if it doesn't, I think the money's going to be there, and I don't think that this is going to have nearly the muscle that some in the Big 12 think it will have in court. Texas and Oklahoma, I think, will be in the SEC next year, but that's next year. It's like when I used to watch pro wrestling, they would tease ahead to the pay-per-view. That's this Sunday, but tonight, well, what about this year? So obviously, Texas and Oklahoma aren't playing in the SEC this year. However, you want spectacle? You want something to look forward to? And I plan on being at this game. Let me paint a picture for you. The date is Saturday, October 9th. 
It's high noon on the East Coast. It's 11 a.m. in Dallas, Texas. The Cotton Bowl is where it's at. It's Horns versus Sooners. It is the Red River Shootout. Big 12 title implications are on the line, and yet, mark my words, at some point during that live national broadcast, a chant of SEC will reverberate throughout the Cotton Bowl in a Big 12 game, and it will be the most consequential SEC chant that the sport has ever seen. Just keep that in the back of your mind, because that will happen. An SEC chant during Red River, I think it will happen this year. And you will have two fan bases who would not help the other up if they were lying half dead in a ditch, joining together in unison to sing that song, a song they used to hate. One more thing I want to touch on before we move on here, because I've got some playoff things to discuss that have brought at least a temporary smile to my face. What do you think about Greg Sankey right now, the SEC commissioner? It's a question I've gotten. If I've gotten it once, I've gotten it, it seems like, a thousand times over the last week or so. And there are a lot of you out there who I am close friends with, a lot of you out there I agree about 90% of the time with, who are painting Greg Sankey as the cousin of Satan right now. And here's what I want to tell you. I know there's a lot of mixed feelings out there about Greg Sankey. I know a lot of you are looking at what he's doing, and from your vantage point, you think he's just taken a wrecking ball to college football. I just advise you to be careful making full judgment on something that you can only fractionally see, because there are many details, and I mean many details, in this equation, that 90% of the iceberg being below the surface of the ocean sort of deal. There's a lot going on here that, for all you know, down the road when these details make themselves clear would have you making the same decisions if you were in Greg Sankey's shoes. Now, you can talk ill about him all you want to, and that's fine. That's your prerogative. But I'm telling you, if half of the negative things that are being said about Greg Sankey out there are true, it flies in the face of the perception that folks who have been around him a long time have of him. And I mean a widely held perception. And so either he was fooling you the whole time, building up all that equity and goodwill of character, or... You can't see the whole picture right now, and you don't have the full context. I'm going to leave it to you to guess, because this is an ongoing story. You see, the chapters that are the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth last towards the end of the book, those haven't been written yet. So we don't have all the details yet. But I think one day, many documentaries will come from this, and it may be that on the backside you're looking and you're saying, you know, Greg Sankey, man, I thought that guy was evil at the time, but it turns out I'd probably have done the same thing he did if I were him. So it's, I'm just telling you, when you're leading elite organizations, when you are the head of the highest organization, sometimes you have what we call in football the consequences of success. Like Nick Saban deals with things that are unique to Alabama because they're the top dog. If you're Greg Sankey, there are some tough decisions that fall in your lap because you're at the top of the totem pole that you may never experience if you're leading the Pac-12. And it may be that There is a no-win situation because no matter what you choose, you're going to anger some people. And because you have to be professional about it, you can't just run to the nearest live microphone and defend yourself. And so you got to let some of these negative stereotypes about you persist. I don't care how much money you make per year. If you're human, that can eat at you. So I'm telling you, I don't like where this is headed. Make no mistake, this is not some endorsement from me on the Amazoning of college football down south. And I'm a southerner and I don't like it. But I can also look at Greg Sankey and say, he may have made a decision I don't like, but it also could be the case that realistically he had no other choice than to do it. I mean, what would you do 
if you looked and you said, this is here to be done, and if I don't do it, it is a certainty someone else is going to do it. And your job is to act in the best interest of the conference, by the way. What would you do? So I'll leave that there and we'll move on. How about this? So, so Director Collin, we were feverishly talking about something about two months ago, and it's died down. So here's the end point, Colin. You remember about two months ago, if you were watching this show or you were living anywhere outside of a cave, all the talk around college football was about the college football playoff and how expansion was not a possibility or even a probability, but all of a sudden, even I had to admit, this thing looks like an inevitability. Now, many, including myself, saw the writing on the wall, and I am far from an expansionist, but I realized I got to pick my battles, and this one's lost, and I'm going to have to live with it. And so I had just buried my feelings. We stopped doing segments on it on Late Kick. I just buried my feelings. But sometimes burial does not mean the end. I mean, back in 1996, for example, here's, a, here's an off-the-wall metaphor. Back in 1996, uh, WWF had a Buried Alive pay-per-view. The way to win a Buried Alive match, pretty self-explanatory. You have to bury your opponent alive. And so there it is. It's Mankind versus The Undertaker, and there's The Undertaker under six feet of dirt, even though when the wrestlers stood up, their head was higher than the grave. May not have been a full six feet. Anyway, so there's The Undertaker. Dirt, 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 bell rings, match over. Then a lightning bolt hits the grave, and there comes the hand up from below, and that's exactly what I feel like right now because I thought that my hopes and dreams from derailing this thing were just that, buried and gone, to quote Nick Saban, gone. And then... Here comes the hand out of the grave, and the hand has clutched the college football playoff around the neck, and it's saying, not quite yet. So what do we have right now? Everyone's thinking about expansion. Everyone's talking about how many teams are going to get in this playoff. What playoff? No one's signed off on anything yet. No one's earmarked or checkmarked this thing. It's not good to go. The, um, the green light has not been hit on this. Remember, we left off with a proposal, and then that committee was going to meet to further discuss it. Well, quick question for you. Let's just take a quiz here. So question, what does it take for multiple parties to work together to achieve a common goal? Answer, it takes trust, it takes continuity, and it takes cooperation. And friends, those things have gone out the door. The moment the SEC took a crowbar to the shins of the Big 12, that went out the door. And so where does that leave your precious playoff, not my playoff, hashtag not my playoff, your playoff, the expanded version at least, where does that leave us? Short term, midterm, and long term, you probably have three different answers here. Short term, here's something interesting actually. Uh, Noah, who is running things down in Fort Lauderdale right now, still getting married October 9th, but running things down in Fort Lauderdale very effectively, he calls me, what was it, Colin? Probably about 12 minutes before airtime. He says, hey, have you seen this Dennis Dodd article on CBSSports.com? And I said, no, I'm powdering my forehead, Noah. What does it say? And he said, well, I'm going to send you a link. You may want to use it in the show. So normally we're well, we're well past cutoff time by 648. But I take a look at it, and this is too good to ignore. This is juicy. So Dennis Dodd over on CBSSports.com, after the announcement's official about Texas Know You today, he goes and grabs a bunch of uh, Power 5 ADs. I think he got some anonymous commissioners. Uh, clock, I still cannot pronounce the Pac-12 commissioner's name. The Pac-12 commissioner's name just went on the record with it. But listen to these quotes. These are three different people who are clearly going to have a spot and a seat at the table in deciding the format for the playoff. Quote number one. 
This is from a highly placed Power 5 source. With 12 teams, we could just be watching a lot of SEC teams in the 12-team playoff. Another Power 5 AD. Why on God's green earth would the Pac-12 and Big Ten hand over these playoff rights, which only strengthens the SEC? A second Power 5 AD agrees. I don't care if there are 10 SEC teams in, but we can't be making this thing a bonanza every year for them. You can't strangle everybody else financially. I want to remind you, they need consensus on this to sign off on it. Um, If you're listening on podcast, what I'm waving around near the microphone may be many things, but consensus, not one of them. So how's this going to play out? How, sounds like I'm teasing a soap opera, how are the expansionists going to get former expansionists, but now agnostics, back into the church of expansion? Well, I think the way they're going to do it is going to be very strategic, but it's already been thought out. This is my feeling on where the SEC is going to take this thing. Short term, no way it's happening. So at the very least, we have put the kibosh on expanding this playoff in the short term. So now you're looking down the road, and it makes a lot more sense, to be honest with you now, why Greg Sankey, commissioner of the SEC, all the while was telling you, pump the brakes, people. Lowercase the E on expansionists. I think it's going to be closer to 2025, 2026. Well, now it makes sense because he knew what was coming. He knew the next chapter, and we hadn't read it yet. So short term, it's out the window. Praise be. Midterm, what happens here? Well, midterm, I think they're waiting the Big 12 out. And then they'll kind of see how the landscape shifts, hurt feelings get mended, maybe everyone gets back on board, and what they would say would be cooler heads will prevail. Panic over patience, and we'll see where that takes us. But in the long term, I think the SEC made a very calculated statement the other day, and Greg Sankey was technically the person who made it, but a bunch of lawyers in Birmingham, Alabama, more realistically, are who put that statement out. And the statement said... Essentially, we would have been dumb not to take Oklahoma and Texas. But to be clear, we want the world to know this opportunity kind of fell in our lap. We weren't out there, you know, in the high grass where you can only see our eyeballs and we're just on the prowl to poach any and every team we can. Having said that, the future remains to be seen. And if opportunities present themselves to us, we'll take a look at them. Here's what I think that meant. What I think that meant is if you people do not get on board and stay on board once we make these moves with the expanded playoff that we already agreed upon, then we are going to exercise our right to either come in your hen house and take whatever we want to, i.e. take your teams, or we're going to get to the point where we just take our ball and we go play somewhere else. And we form that fabled Super League, not Super Conference, Super League that a lot of you have talked about. That Super League is its own planet. See, right now... The SEC wants the planet to be, they're the big continent, but you can still have other continents out there. Just understand you're going to play by our rules. Well, this is going to be a leveraging tool down the road. If you don't have the necessary parties on board, the SEC, I think, would be wise to stay at 16 teams now so that they can look at you in the future and say, you want us to stay at 16, don't you? You know we could have whatever we want from you whenever we want it, right? Sign the paper or we're coming and taking A, B, C, and D. And there's nothing you can do about it because look at these text messages. They've already been begging us. That's like dating a girl and unbeknownst to you, she's tried to get with your best friend, but your best friend in your best interest has said no, and then all of a sudden you find out about it. Well, what is your recourse? You don't really have any. You don't have a choice is my point. And so I think in the long term, unfortunately for those like me, we will still be dealing with this, but... 
I think the choice is going to ultimately be on the plate of, let's say, the Big 12. If you've ever seen the movie The Founder, I think it's still on Netflix, it's about the evolution of McDonald's, fascinating. You will love and hate Ray Kroc all together, just simultaneous. But in the end, even though you had contracts, even though you had an agreement, in the end, Ray Kroc was taking over McDonald's. And the guys out in San Bernardino were going to lose. The only question was, were they going to be left dead and broke, sitting on the sidewalk, or were they going to take a check from him? And I think in the end, a lot of folks in the college football world are going to agree to take the old proverbial check, understanding we're beat. There's no way we can compete with that. We're beat. Now, again, do not take me predicting this as an endorsement that I like what I'm saying. I just think that's where we're headed. But I also want to say this. We're going to probably spend several weeks talking about what I'm about to kind of hint at. There is a lot of fear out there that this is reshaping college football as we know it. Well, that's not a fear. That's just reality. This will reshape college football as you know it. It does not have to ruin college football for you. And I would really like to kind of table this, just bookmark this thought. You define what you love about the sport, right? What you're passionate about, what you love about a Saturday, what appeals to you may not appeal to me and vice versa, but you define what you love about it. And what I'm asking you is, if those things, if those elements are still in the room, what does it really matter what else is going on on the outside? NIL, transfer portal, like as long as that product is there, as long as you're watching Kentucky versus Louisville, like you have for the past 50 years on a Saturday late in November, and those logos look the same, and that's fields painted the same, and you're with like-minded people in a stadium environment, or you're watching with your buddies at home on TV, a lot of that stuff is still going to be there. The landscape, I mean, it may look different, but the sport, the game, not the sport, the game, it's going to be there. So I don't think it has to be quite as doom and gloom as, as many amongst us have uh, made it out to be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Speaking of which, you know, there is uh, something that I think we should do right now, and that's talk about actual football in 2021. You know, what if? Dare we? Yes, I think we do. The other week we did the biggest games of the year, and we've done circle games for the first four weeks. And then last show we circled week six and said that's the biggest one of the season in college football. That's October 9th. So tonight, here you go, Colin, three, two, one. Tonight what I wanted to do is go week seven through 10 in college football and give you the circle games. Keep in mind, this is not a comprehensive list. There are some very big games that won't be on this list. This is just a sample size of what to look forward to in sort of that second, third um, portion of the season. Let's start with Florida at LSU. 
<laughs> you remember this last year. You remember the shoe. I didn't even think of it until the very end of formatting this segment, so I just wrote asterisk, shoe, remember to say. So there's the shoe. Uh, more important matters at hand, though. The Florida Gators are going to play Alabama early in the year. They will not be favored to win that game. If I had to pick the game today, I wouldn't pick Florida to win it. Crazier things have happened, I know. But LSU is going to be favored to be 6-0 in this game. And so I really wonder where the teams will be. You could say that about every game by the time we get to week seven and later, like what are the records going to be? But also there's a wide, wide range of scenarios here. This is a big game in and of itself. It does not need storyline help, but it has it this year anyway. This is one of the great environments in SEC football and, for that matter, college football. You've got the entire backdrop of what happened last year and how inexplicable that result seemed. That was also the game that sparked a lot of confidence and belief in Max Johnson, who may very well go on to win the LSU quarterback job this year and may be the guy that's responsible for them being 6-0 and when they roll into this game and they'll be favored in this one too. This is when you start to really find out whether LSU has that playoff potential, whether it's going to be a year that's truly special and all the internal dynamics are fixed and that talent's living up to its capability, that's on the LSU side. But on the Florida side, if they've already got a conference loss under their belt, this could very well be do or die for their SEC Eastern Division hopes because if they can win this one and they have no more than one loss on the resume, well, that Georgia game in Jacksonville could still decide the East. But if they've already got a loss and they lose this one, Georgia could have a game-and-a-half cushion for all intents and purposes when they go into Jacksonville. So this one's really big. How about Miami at North Carolina? Same exact day. This, I think, is my favorite game in the ACC this year, Miami at North Carolina. This will be Miami's season on this Saturday. It's week seven, but I feel the exact same for North Carolina. Remember the whole schedule dynamic thing here because it's pretty heavily tilted in Miami's favor. North Carolina will be playing their seventh game in seven weeks, not only will Miami be coming off a bye, but the previous game they play is on a Thursday. So they're coming into this thing on nine days rest. Manny Diaz could not have drawn the conference schedule up better for himself if they gave him the schedule to do it himself. I remember this time last year, we were sort of going up and down Miami's schedule, and you said, what's the game they need in order to prove they're back? Because that's a question every year from Miami. And people started, once they started 3-0, they started looking at that Clemson game. And they weren't close. Uh, they got physically manhandled by Clemson. I will never forget. Miami's receivers couldn't get off the line of scrimmage against Clemson. And that wasn't a particularly historic defense for Brenton Venables last year. Well, they don't have Clemson in the regular season this year. This is that game, though. This is their chance to go on the road and have one circled and tee it up and put forth their best effort. And if they win this game... Miami's in the driver's seat for that division. Miami is all of a sudden in the driver's seat to potentially go play for a conference title at the end of the year. Week eight, the very next week, let's take it up to the Big Ten. Ohio State is at Indiana in week eight. Now you think about this game and you think Ohio State decided favorite. There's no way I'm picking Indiana to win that game. It would take, what, a plus three or plus four turnover kind of afternoon. Well, Indiana's been prone to do it before, first off. But secondly, the biggest question or questions with Ohio State clearly defensively this year are going to be on the back end. And that doesn't mean that they can't get emphatically answered, but that's where the questions will be. And anybody who watched Ohio State football last year understands why. Well, I say that because if you look at the Buckeye schedule, which you're seeing if you're watching on YouTube, it could get tested in week one against Minnesota. 
Sure, Anthony Brown and Oregon's receivers, that looks to be the best stable of receiving talent that Mario Cristobal's had at Oregon or that Oregon's had, period, in several years. But then you start to look down that schedule. Tulsa, Akron, at Rutgers, Maryland. It could be that this game at Indiana is the stiffest regular season test that the back end of the Ohio State defense faces. Now, they got a bye week before they play it, but two things could happen here. You could either just have Indiana pull the outright upset. Now, that's a huge story on its own merit. But even if Ohio State goes in to win this game, the style in which they win it and the style in which their defense plays, this is the kind of game that you pull out again when they're headed to the playoffs a month and a half later, and you say, they're facing fill-in-the-blank, good passing attack. Let's go check out how they did. Who exposed some potential red flags with Ohio State this year? How about that Indiana game? Penix was back. They had all their receivers back. Let's see how they did. So Ohio State 49 to 14, give me a ton of confidence about their chances in the playoff against anyone. Ohio State 49 to 37 may tell a little bit different story. Let's move on. Georgia versus Florida. This is the next week. This is week nine. Uh, This is obviously as it is every year in Jacksonville. Here's what is beautiful about sports in general, but here's what's especially beautiful about this rivalry. There is immense trash talk every year but it eventually gets put to the test because they're eventually going to play. And so you got a lot of things being said about Georgia and Florida. Happens every year. But right now, you got Georgia folks firmly convinced last year was a blip on the radar screen. It was, it was Florida peaking as Georgia dipped a little bit. Uh, that, will not, that will not replicate itself this year. Certainly when you're set at quarterback in JT Daniels, and likewise they've lost Kyle Trask, and they're going to trot Emory Jones out against us, and we don't believe he's capable of beating us. Why? Because we're Georgia. Meanwhile, in the Gator side of things, you're thinking if we can even be comparable talent-wise, we know Dan will out-coach Kirby on Saturday. All of these things are very heartfelt, but it's got to be put to the test. I don't care about talking. I love talking, as long as the game's going to happen. The talking I don't like is, what would happen if so-and-so played so-and-so? Well, if I don't get to see it, it's a, a moot point or a mute point. But this game's going to happen. I, I don't even have the date. I know it's week nine, and that I very much look forward to. Look at Florida's schedule. We just touched on this, but talk about it one more time. They got Bama in week three. Uh, they will be favored in every other game until they go to LSU, and that LSU game I think will have a ton of kind of pre-Georgia hype around it because that game could very well determine what this one means, not to the fan bases, not for the rivalry, but within the context of the SEC Eastern Division race. Then over in the SEC West, one week later, in week 10, we've got LSU at Alabama. Been my favorite game in college football for over a decade now. Uh, It's a pretty unique game. I think it, it lost a little of its luster for a second, and then it came back emphatically in 2019. And then last year was, ooh, it was biblical last year. But you're supposed to forget about last year. This LSU team this year is supposed to have the juice to make me forget about last year they could very well roll into this game undefeated. LSU will be favored to roll into this game undefeated. Having said that, think about what could be in the balance here. And think about how it could go differently than maybe the preview magazine culture would lead you to believe. Because it is a widely held notion out there that by the time LSU plays Bama in week 10, that their backs are against the wall. They've got one or multiple losses. They're in wounded animal mode and Bama's just cruising along undefeated. Might I remind you, that Alabama's got to break in about 100 new pieces offensively too, and they will have already gone to Florida and to Texas A&M in very losable games before this point. What if Alabama's lost a game? 
Like, it's not totally out of the realm of possibility, guys. It has happened before. And what if LSU is the one that comes in there, and it's like 2019 all over again? Now, this is a stretch. This is a stretch. But you got to follow me. Because if we've learned anything over the past month, it's don't laugh at any prediction in college football. The crazier it is, possible, the more likely it becomes. So LSU, I just let's revisit this. It's, it's not like I would, I would odds-on favor this scenario, but it could be that LSU has got a little more shine on them at that point. In Alabama, maybe you got a little doubt about them. This is a team that lost back-to-back years to Ole Miss in 2015 and 2016 and ended up paying for a title in both years. My point is, crazier things have happened before. And then last, in Week 10, same week, out on the West Coast, it's such an important game for the Pac-12, Oregon at Washington. This stretch, starting in week six and then on through week 10, is very big for this conference. Week six is where Utah goes to USC. Now, that could very well decide the Pac-12 South. And then this one in week 10 could decide the Pac-12 North. And the funny thing is, no one is circling this game. On the West Coast, they are. But nationally, not many people are circling this game. But this is such an important game for both teams now. For Jimmy Lake and Washington, this is a chance for validation on the national stage. Because to be honest with you, I don't know that a win at Michigan in week two would accomplish that nearly as much as this win would. And secondly, for Oregon, it's a chance. If you're undefeated at this point, that means you've beaten Ohio State, so you already got your validation. But if you've lost to Ohio State, that's not a conference game. This is your chance to reestablish yourself on the national scene. You've gotten your feet under you after an early season loss, which no one frowns at. It's, it's at the shoe. It's against Ohio State. And maybe you emphatically win this game. Either way, very important for these two games to carry a lot of national significance for the Pac-12. So those are some circle games, week seven through 10. And believe it or not, we're still not done because we still got the last month of the season that we've got to talk about. So we'll do that on the next show. Tentatively scheduled to do that on the next show. I wanted to talk about something tonight that got a ton of attention the other day. Colin, how many, we had like 40 or 50,000 views on our Texas A&M video the other day. Uh, which usually means there's a fair amount of interest on it. I want to start with a question that everyone has an opinion on, even if you're not an A&M fan. What do you think Jimbo Fisher's legacy is? If I asked you to define the legacy of Jimbo Fisher, what would it be? And I imagine if I were to get serious responses, people would say, well, he's a college football lifer, obviously. He's been around forever. And he's won a national championship, so he's one of those very few national championship winning coaches. And yes, he is that. But I wonder if his legacy has been defined. So if we fast forward 30 years and Jimbo Fisher's long since retired, I think, if we look back on 2021 and then we have the entire context of his career in scope at that point, will we look back and say, you know, his, his legacy had already been defined before 2021? Because I've got to be real with you, I don't think Jimbo Fisher's legacy has been defined yet. Even with the college football lifer label on him, and even with a national championship already, as crazy as that sounds, I don't think his legacy has been defined yet. What are people saying right now? People are saying, well, this whole, this whole conference realignment thing, boy, that's a huge move for Texas. Boy, that's a huge move for Oklahoma. Oh, it's a landmark win for the SEC. This is an inflection point for Texas A&M football. This is a defining moment for the legacy of Jimbo Fisher. You think about the risk. I want to think about the opportunity out there for Texas A&M and to understand why it's such a big opportunity and to understand why this is such a huge inflection point and a defining moment for not only A&M football, for Jimbo Fisher too, you got to understand the reality versus the illusion. The illusion we talked about the other night. The illusion is, 
well, A&M's in trouble now because Texas is going to be in the conference. And I have had several off-the-record debates this week with people about what that means because I don't buy it. I, I just wholesale, I wholesale dispute that. But you, you got a lot of people out there. So I got a lot of people who come at me and they say, well, Texas, A&M, they're in trouble now that and, and Texas is in the conference. And so I want to push it through to a logical conclusion. You can tell me all you want to, A&M's in trouble now that Texas is in the conference, but give me the specifics. Why are they in trouble? And so inevitably, someone says, well, now cause Texas is going to be able to recruit the SEC. And I say, and? And then they'll say, well, you know, kids are going to choose Texas now because they're in the SEC. And I ask, why is that? And then they say, well, they always wanted to be at Texas. It's just that now Texas is giving them the final reason with that SEC sticker on their helmet. And I don't believe that. I'm not telling you Texas recruiting won't improve. That's not going to be the deciding edge that horns have over Aggies at all. And the reason I think it's overblown is because I don't think it's been the lack of SEC inclusion that's cost Texas. And it certainly hasn't been access to the state. They're right there in the middle of it. If that were true, then you wouldn't be able to explain Ohio State. Ohio State is a program that is neither in Texas nor in the SEC, and they have raided the Lone Star State in recruiting for several years now. That's not what's been holding Texas back, nor is SEC inclusion all of a sudden going to be the determining factor that places that Longhorn logo again above that A&M logo. If it happens, as I said the other night, it's going to be because Jimbo Fisher was not able to follow through and or Steve Sarkeesian just took this program to the next level. But what do kids want? Kids want to compete at the highest level, obviously. Uh, They want top-notch development, and they want access to the NFL. They want to play at an NFL pipeline. Which of these is Texas A&M all of a sudden not going to be able to offer because Texas has a different conference sticker on the back of their helmet? The answer, to me, is none of them. I think Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M could be on the brink of harnessing this latest news to take their own program to the next level. Everyone gets motivated in different ways. Different things light fires in different ways under people. And if you don't live in Texas, which we don't, but I talked to enough people out there to live there or to feel like I lived there the last couple of weeks, this has been... Uh, that's the wrong word to use, so I won't, I won't use it so you can't clip it. This has been a very sizable change. It has been a landscape change out in the state of Texas. I think it's going to be a very good thing for Texas A&M, and I think it's what could end up propelling them to the next level, kind of into a different stratosphere. And you want to talk about legacy. For all of you who think the legacy of Jimbo Fisher at A&M will ultimately be, well, he got a little head start, but then when Texas came to the SEC, That hit the mute button on Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. As much as that is a popular thought out there right now, let me give you another scenario. How's this for legacy? What if the history books end up reading, and in 2021, Texas ended up getting an invite to the SEC, and in 2022, the Horns came to the SEC, and Jimbo Fisher and the Aggies took their program to the next level, looked across the state, nodded, and then won the first championship in several generations, despite Texas being in the SEC. If you talk about legacy, imagine Jimbo Fisher's legacy, even though the guy's already got a championship. If he wins one at A&M with Texas in the SEC, that is how you become sort of a generational, iconic-type coach instead of 
just one that's appreciated regionally or maybe just in his own bubble. So I'm excited. And if I was an A&M fan, I know I'd be aggravated in the short term, but long term, I'd be excited for this. You can look around. There are several other examples. I was on the BOL podcast with Travis Ryer and Tim Watts the other day, and we were talking about what it was like when Nick Saban came to Bama. Auburn won a national championship three years later. Auburn played for another national championship three years after that. I don't know definitively how history would have turned out, but I'm of the belief Nick Saban is the reason that Auburn felt the pressure that it took to put the teams on the field that won those titles and played for those titles. I'm a believer in that. So I'm a believer that that pressure can either cook you or it can produce a diamond as a result of the pressure. But you determine, you are the variable. You determine how that plays out, not the other guy. It doesn't have to be that way. If you're Prairie View, it's a different story. You're Texas A&M. You got everything you ever need to succeed in the sport and you've got it in abundance. So I'm very excited to watch it play out. Thank you for watching the show live. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. We are rapidly approaching 60,000 subs. 72% of our viewers this week were unsubscribed to this channel. You know what I'm asking you to do? It's free to do. Make it happen. Like the video too. And while you're at it, find me on Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. Been having a lot of fun on those platforms lately. And wait till we're at games in the fall. And then see what kind of content you get as a bonus because you're following there at Late Kick Josh. All right, we got to get out of here. Good show tonight. Thank you so much for all the help that you're giving us and all the traffic as we sort of start the wave into the season early this year. For Director Colin, Noah, and company down in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your week, and God bless.